Welcome to the Gregory House podcast. This is Becoming a Less Anxious Leader by Father Aaron Damiani. Good to see you guys. This is going to be a pretty interactive session, which is why we're clustered around like this. And um, it's, this is about becoming a less anxious leader. Becoming a non-anxious leader is now, you know, it's a misnomer. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. No one's a non-anxious leader. <laughs> um, but here's just a... Uh, an exhortation from Peter, which I think describes um, what uh, we're called to as leaders. Uh, I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, I won't exposit that text or talk much about it other than to say... Uh, this is, this is the, the high calling, this is the true north that all of us are called toward, you know, like leading but not domineering and humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and casting all of our anxieties. Just imagine all of your anxieties were in the hands of the Lord Jesus. You weren't carrying any of them anymore. With great hope that even as you resist the, the lion of your adversary, the devil, the Lord himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you forever. And so let me pray for us as we begin this talk. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. And now, Lord, we, we want to put ourselves before you and ask that Jesus, as a chief shepherd, you would lead us to become less anxious leaders. Teach us the skills, Lord, of... Uh, acknowledging, respecting, and managing the anxiety that we carry and the anxiety that uh, swirls uh, around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would set each person here apart to be a shining star in the universe uh, and to be a, uh, a less anxious presence for people in their life that when there's crises and trial and uh, just uh, things that would bring doom and destruction, that you would make each person here someone who has the supernatural power of Christ uh, to, bring, to bring peace um, wherever they go. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Okay. So this talk does not come out of my victories as a less anxious leader, non-anxious leader. 
Um, my first leadership assignment I ever had was a big-time failure in the sense that I, I started out with a lot of high hopes and a lot of energy, which one does, because you're excited, you know, and you're like, all right, now it's my turn, and it's like, I'm going to do it right. And so I had this, uh, this burning passion to be a great leader. This is when I was in college, and I put everything I had into this role and tried to, tried to just do a great job. And what happened was that along the way, um, the, uh, what, what became apparent to me was that some people didn't appreciate what I was doing like I thought they should. And so I grew resentful when I was pouring myself out for them, but they weren't, like, they weren't, showing, they weren't showing kindness and respect as a result. And, and in fact, some, some of what I was getting was criticism, which was very hurtful. And uh, over time, this also coincided with a crisis of faith that I had, where the more I learned theologically and the more I learned about the Bible, the less I believed it. And I wasn't sure if I could hold Christian commitments anymore. And so I was beginning to um, I, I grind down to a point where I didn't have the energy I had in, at the beginning. Um, but I also wasn't aware of a, a hidden dynamic in all of this, which was my own anxiety and the anxieties of everyone around me. And one of the things that I was anxious about was I was putting myself in the hands of others. I needed them to think well of me, and I needed them to, to, uh, to, to reciprocate in kind. And I thought my job was to control them rather than to shepherd them. Shepherding and controlling, for me, was confused. And so what happened is I burned out, and I totally just kind of checked out. And you know, when, when you just sort of snap, and you just check out, and you just, you don't, I don't care anymore. And so I actually made a vow. I didn't know I made a vow at that time, but I'm not going to be a pastor, and I'm not going to be a leader. This isn't my calling, and this isn't what God has for me, and this isn't what I want anymore. And people suck. Um, don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> um, you know, and it was actually here. It wasn't in this building, but it was at Glenbard West where I learned to receive the healing of the Lord and step in uh, to leadership in a with a different like, way of doing it. And so um, my, my leadership now is sort of like, this is the only way I know how to get through it. This is the only thing I know how to do. There's a lot less under my control, but I want to talk a little bit, and this is going to be a pretty interactive time, about anxiety and how to become a less anxious leader. Let's define anxiety. Anxiety is fear on the inside that seeks control on the outside. Fear on the inside seeks control on the outside. Let's talk about some examples of this. Fear of abandonment on the inside. That seeks to control through a, a tight bond on the outside. Enmeshment with another person is a way to control the situation so that you don't experience what, you, what uh, your, your body interprets as complete doom, which is being abandoned. 
What about this fear of rejection? On the inside, that seeks to control by withdrawing from others. Isn't that interesting? That withdrawal can be a, f- a form of control. You're seeking control. So you're rejecting first. You're the first one out the door. Um, you, you, don't, you, you don't go out with friends. Um, you keep quiet in a small room. Withdrawing from relationships can be a form of control. What about this fear of failure? On the inside, um, that seeks to control through a perfect performance. Sometimes people uh, give into perfectionism. What is perfectionism but a fear driven uh, sort of output of energy? to ensure that nothing goes wrong, because if something went wrong, you might fail, and everyone would see it. What about this fear of death, which, depending on who you ask, is the fear behind all fears? Fear of death. On the inside, that seeks to control through Medical checkups, constant hand washing, constantly taking your temperature, constantly checking symptoms, constantly Googling things. What is that? But fear, you're afraid of dying. You're afraid of sickness. You're afraid of death. And so um, Google and the, um, what's that thing you put in your mouth? Checks your temperature? Thermometer. Those, those are your sources of control. Gives you a sense of like, I won't die. Um, there's a lot of different ways that anxiety can, um, uh, can creep up. Fear on the inside that seeks control on the outside. Let's talk about fear on the inside, though. Someone tell me what it feels like, speaking of symptoms, what does anxiety feel like in your body? Has everyone, anyone experienced Anxiety in your in your body physically. What are the some? There's some. There's some. Oh, there's already smiles and laughter. So tell me, what are some of those symptoms? Yes. So tight chest and a racing heart are two like pretty common symptoms. You feel that, and then you can't breathe as much and. Caleb, were you going to say something? Blake, Blake sorry. Uh, exhaustion. exhaustion, yes. Is this big enough for you guys to read towards the back? So I'll try, I'll write a little bigger. All right, other symptoms, physical symptoms. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So, uh, sense of dread and foreboding. Yes. Shaky. Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. Muscles are starting to shake. 
Yeah. It's, yeah, harder to breathe, right? It takes... Yes, yes, yes. What else? Mentally scattered, yeah, harder to think. Uh huh. Scattered thoughts, racing thoughts, obsessive thoughts. Yes, Kevin. What's that? Frenetic energy, yes. Okay, what else? Yeah, yes. Okay, other symptoms. Getting some good ones here. Brenda. Yeah, yeah, insomnia. Oh, man. Okay, good. One or two others? Yes. Kind of a sense of overwhelmed. It's a bit of an existential threat, isn't it? At least that's how your system is uh, interpreting the anxiety. As it flows through your system, uh, we become less functional, right? So there's anxiety in the body. Here's another question. Have you ever experienced anxiety in a relationship with someone else? Okay, and uh, sorry, I, <laughs> I asked that question and turned my back. Not a good relational move, but what is, what is it like to be in a relationship that has anxiety in it? Yeah, between two people. Mm-hmm. An anxious relationship. Constant tension. What else? Yeah, so it's, it's sort of, it's an insecure bond. It's an insecure connection. It can end any time. Emotional outbursts, like anger, frustration. Yes. Outbursts of anger. Yep. Huh. What do you mean by that? It's really good, because what you're pointing out, remind me of your name again? Cameron and Blake have both uh, described the withdraw or attack. Withdraw or attack. These are the two unhealthy ways of relating with people. And when you're in an anxious relationship, it's kind of all you know how to do. Either I'm attacking you or withdrawing from you. Yes, John. 
Yeah, totally. So you said suspicion of motives, and you're thinking ill about the, of like. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right, and there's so along with this, and I'm just going to move this a little closer. Oh, can you still see this? Okay. Is um, mind reading. Mind reading, there's got to be a German word that just puts mind reading all together like I just did. But anyway, there was a hand here and then here. Yeah, yes. Um, so um, uh, hold on. Overthinking, replaying, and I'll just add here. Um, Obsessive monitoring of nonverbals and verbals, watching for signs of abandonment. Um, so constant analysis, constant um, sort of uh, um, watching the other person to make sure that they don't get out of line. Anything else on anxious, an anxious relationship? Kevin? Yes. Yes. And this is the uh, um, kind of the, the enmeshment piece where anxiety on the inside is, is seeking um, a closeness that is inappropriate to the Imago day with another person, where there's no separateness at all. Yes. Uh, all sorts of manipulation. Yes. Say more about that. What are some examples of manipulation? Yes. 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 Uh huh. Yes. And tied in with manipulation and everything that you just described is just this lack of freedom. There's just there's no freedom to kind of operate outside the lines of what, of what, what the manipulator is trying to engender from you. Um. Really good insights. What others for relationships? Matt? Don't listen? Yeah. That's so interesting that you said that, because withdrawal and attack are the things that, when it's not safe to put meaning into the pool of meaning between two people, 
the only thing you can do is force meaning into it or, or withhold the meaning that you have from the pool. This, the book Crucial Conversations talks about this. You know, it's withdrawal or attack, but if you can navigate through that, then you can hear each other. Yeah. Your emotional needs. Burning stable friendships. Yeah. So, um, kind of burning bridges. Is that what you're saying? Burdening. Burdening. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's good. Burdening, where is kind of like where something that you should be carrying is maybe a codependent relationship where really, and this is the classic addict, you know, person who has an addiction with the codependent. It's like the codependent person is carrying all of the anxiety for <laughs> the addict. The addict is doing fine because they're, they're, you know, they've got their addiction and someone else is worrying about it. So it's that responsibility transfer that often happens in anxious relationships. Any other things with relationships? Yes. Yes, yes. So there's, a, I'll put it up here. Um, there's either or uh, thinking here, where it's like either my needs or the relationships. Either they win or I win. And it's a, it's a kind of a zero-sum environment. Um, all right. So that's Relationships. Uh, yes. Yes. That's really insightful. So Matt's describing the dynamic where one, pl- one person plays one archetypal role, the other person plays another archetypal role. They try the same thing. It's uh, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. Maybe more anger will work this time, or maybe more withdrawing will work this time, and you just get stuck in this stalemate. And um, so, yeah, really insightful. Yes. Unspoken expectations. It's a big old mess, isn't it? <laughs> it's a big old mess. Jeez. Okay, so let's talk about families, anxious families. And there'll be some overlap here, but what is it like to be a part of an anxious family or an anxious small group? Everyone, one person's actions reflect on everybody. Mm. Like, you've embarrassed me. You, you're... you're uh, uh, Yes. Ha, huh, interesting. So um, there's, there's pressure to represent, represent the group um, in a positive way. And if you don't, um, it's, it's less about you. It's, we're more concerned about our image than we are about you as a person. Walking on eggshells. 
Walk on eggshells, yes. Say more about that. Yes, yes. So it's like, yeah, I can't say that, I can't say that, you're really touchy there, I can't say this. And you're, um, um, you're usually there's, there's, there's a, there's a, a non-self-regulating um, person in the family dynamic. There's someone you can't tell them, you can't reflect back to them how they're impacting everybody else. But they're usually the most powerful person in the group because um, no one can talk with them. And no one can regulate for them. What else is true in families that are anxious? A lot of triangulation. Yes, triangulation. Huge. Tell me more about this. Yes. I, and then either isolated or hearing to the third person. Yes. And then it just, it, it switches out. Yes. Who those groups are. It's like, you know, two people talking, you know, talking about a third person. Remind me of your name again? Sophia. Sophia. Thank you for pointing this out. You guys familiar with triangulation? So, per, can you see this? Person A has a problem with person B. There's sin between them. There's offense. And something needs to be worked out between them. And Jesus has, you know, teaching on this, right? If you've sinned against someone, go to them. If, you, if someone sinned, sinned against you, you, go to them. Person A, go to person B. Person B, go to person A. And if it goes well, you've won your sister. You've won your brother. Great. But what normally happens, or what the temptation is... Like, that's too hard. This is too electric. Um, this makes me feel like that. So in order to avoid that, I'm going to go to person C and talk with them about person A. Because person C might be able to take these feelings away and, uh, you know, um, commiserate with me and make it... And maybe what person C can do, maybe person C can go to person B and tell them to stop it. Um, or, uh, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can uh, sort of be the person who carries the anxiety so that person A and person B can still be in relationship. Yes. Yeah. That is so insightful. Yeah, one of the really sad things that happens in families, and I've done it, I'm guilty, is that parents uh, uh, stop filling the parent role at key moments, and all of a sudden, a child has to step up and carry the parent role. Well, that's really, like, um, you know, sad, and, and it's dysfunctional. It's the essence of dysfunction when the child plays the parent role and the parent plays the child role. And so uh, what happens there is the child can f start to feel kind of special. 
Like this is the role that I have. This is how I, this is maybe me being godly. And, uh, and meanwhile, the parent doesn't have to grow up. They don't have to face their own anxiety. They don't have to apologize. So yeah, distorted roles. Um, I don't know if we said mixed messages yet. Mixed messages. Have you guys ever experienced a mixed message? I'm saying one thing. Um, hey, missed you at church on Sunday. Am I, re- am I really saying that I missed you at church on Sunday? Am I expressing sadness? Or am I really saying, shame on you for not being at small group or at church on Sunday? You should feel ashamed. I missed you. <laughs> Maybe it would be more direct to say, I'm feeling hurt and angry that you didn't show up to small group when you were supposed to bring the potato leek soup. <laughs> and I've got some feelings about that that I need to share with you. But instead, we use the mixed message, right? Because a mixed message like that has two functions. On the one hand, it makes me look spiritual. It hides my, it hides all my, I don't have to own my stuff at all. I can put it all on you. And I don't have to have the real conversation. It happens in, it happens in anxious families all the daggum time. Other, other anxious family things. Huh. Yes. Yeah, information control. So, yeah, you have to be really careful. Certain people can't hear certain things. Now, again, as a parent, sometimes kids are not supposed to know certain information, but uh, when that becomes less about loving the other person and more about protecting yourself or doing this stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because information can be weaponized, um, and families know a lot about each other. Yeah, so confrontation without connection. Yes, yes. So um, there's um, confrontation. without forgiveness, the reconciliation. You just want to make the person feel bad. All right, um, one final thing. I, I, I'm running out, of, running out of room here, but let's just talk about groups. Uh, this is like larger than families. What is it like to be a part of an anxious group of people? Factions. Factions, yes. Okay. Blake? Public shaming. Public shaming. Okay. What else? Yes. So yes, static roles. Yes. Yeah. Stereotyping. Uh huh. Suspicion. Yeah.
Yep. Who else had their hand up? Yes. Yes, okay, yes, so um, kind of like, um, yeah, not expressing, opinions, because it's like, then you're, you're out, boom, pushed out. Us versus them. Yeah, us versus them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yes, reprisals as well. Um, groups, groups become, anxiety turns groups into mobs. Um, anything else on groups, anxious groups? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. So you have kind of, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sort of like uh, secret plots. <laughs> All right. So um, let's do this here. Oh, come on. All right, you guys ready for this? Anxiety, I find that it's a lot like electricity. And it just sort of flows and somehow finds leaders. finds the most responsible, least anxious person who can do something to help. You guys ever see these uh, utility poles that uh, are all wired up? I was biking by one of these poles one day and just realized, yeah, <laughs> that's what it feels like sometimes to be in leadership, is all this electricity is flowing through all kinds of people and all kinds of relationships, and all kinds of families and groups and systems, it finds leaders. And then leaders have a choice to make. Anyone in engineering have an engineering background? Anyone know about step-up converters or step-down converters? Tell us about it. So think about it this way. It's very well said. You got all this surging, uncontrolled, well, not uncontrolled, but certainly surging volts of anxiety. Everyone's carrying it to some degree. Part of it is that this is just from God to help us detect and respond to threats. But it gets out of control, and it's all wired up, and it finds us, 
And we can either be a step-up converter, um, and uh, once the anxiety finds us, jack it up and just react <laughs> and just make it worse because it's impacting us too, and just transfer it out there. And when we do that, everyone's anxiety goes up. Everyone around us feels more anxious when we let our anxiety just out there. Step-up converter. Leaders have power. Parents have power. Pastors have power. Teachers have power. Small group leaders have power to raise some, everyone's anxiety level. Everyone who looks to you wants to know that things are going to be okay. When we step up the anxiety, uh, we make it worse. Let's take a ministry example. Let's say that... Uh, um, you oversee someone named Judy. Judy is a newcomer to Church of the Res, and you lead a ministry team. You're looking for volunteers. Judy is talented. She's a natural influencer among her peers. And so when she signs up for your ministry team, you're really excited because Judy doesn't just do the ministry, but Judy also draws people to the team. Um, however, Judy has anxiety like everyone else. And she has a fear of missing out on social situations. She has a fear of missing out, fear of abandonment, we might say. And the way that she manages this anxiety is she seeks control on the outside. Her fear on the inside seeks control on the outside by keeping her schedule completely open on the weekends. That's her anxiety management plan. Keep my schedule completely open. Verbal agreements but it doesn't make it into her calendar, and she doesn't show up when she says show up, show up. So it's really tough to schedule ministry team meetings with Judy because when you do, she cancels or she doesn't show or she sends a non-committal, all lower caps text of like, sorry, I can't make it. Um, I'm really slammed. Now, you have fears too, uh, as do I. And so maybe you have a fear of failure, which is triggered whenever someone doesn't show up to your ministry team meeting or whenever volunteers don't show up to the ministry environment. You're trying to lead, okay? You're serving the Lord. You put all the work in. You took Judy out for lunch, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and she doesn't show up. And so the anxiety that you're feeling is like, the anxious thought is like, what if I'm a failure? After all, everything everyone said about me is true is that like, yeah, I don't know how to lead. All right, so you could, you could step it up, couldn't you? You could send an all caps group text to the ministry team, everyone that you've signed up and have been like, hey guys, everyone needs to be at all of the ministry events and all of the ministry trainings that I put a lot of work into. What happens to the group at this point? Your ministry team that you lead, Amy's mad. <laughs> Amy would never send a text like that. <laughs> you could do that. But here's the job that every leaders have. If you're willing to do this, you will always have a leadership role, whether it's on the books or off the books. You'll always be a leader wherever you go if you choose to do this. And that is that you choose to become a step down converter. A step-down converter. One example 
from history is Abraham Lincoln. Why was he such a great president? Massive amounts of anxiety from the Civil War, from race, from slavery, from North-South tensions, financial troubles, the Industrial Revolution, and it's finding its way to, to the Oval Office. It's finding his way to Abraham Lincoln, and what does he do? He tells stories. He brings humor. He makes his cabinet laugh. He brings people in that you know, have different opinions about what we should do about financial policy and what we should do about um, you know, civil war strategy, and he lowers their anxiety and he solves problems. He lowers their anxiety and he solves problems. He finds his way through to um, lower his own anxiety and lower their anxiety. What happens to the United States? We were becoming a mob. We were triangulated. It was us versus them. It was fracture. It was shouting. It was withdraw and attack, was it not? And somehow, it found Abraham Lincoln, and he kept the union together. So um, this is about what leaders do. Um, every society, every church, small group, family needs leaders who will lower people's anxiety levels by managing their own. Um, so... Let's see here. I feel less anxious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it says, there's no anxiety, right? Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. I'm not, I'm not freaking out. Can you turn it over? Okay, oh, the other way, sorry. Okay, all right, so let's talk about anxiety management. When the anxiety finds you, when it lands on your desk, when it lands in your email inbox, your texts, um, what are ways that you know how to manage the anxiety for yourself so that you can help others? <laughs> Anyone have uh, ways they've learned? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yes. Mm. I was going to say, learning the difference between acute responses and stuff you can take your time to respond to. Yes. Because most of the time, most of the things don't require an immediate response. You actually have time to pray about it, walk around, let your body's hormones help you your bloodstream. That's great. This is a key. A key, key uh, way that we manage anxiety is we slow things down. Now, sometimes, as a leader, you need to ramp things up, and sometimes the difference between when is it time to lead change, which means increasing people's pain level, <laughs> um, uh, and when is it time to slow things down so that anxiety is not running the show. Most of the time, we're slowing things down, space to pray, space to think, space to solve problems. Anxiety makes us stupider, right? It shuts down our prefrontal cortex. The amygdala takes over and is like, forget this, I'm taking it a different route. <laughs> yes, Margie. Can I say, too, I've, I've learned a lot of these. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so one is 
Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right, very, very important. Two important things. If you can do these two things, you'll be almost set completely. Physical self-management, right? Because we looked at it. Right here, this is where it all starts. If you can manage this, you can show up here. If you can manage your uh, racing mind and your tight chest and your body, which is starting to break down in its functionality, you can exercise, sleep, eat nutritious food, uh, and uh, take mastery over your body, you are going to be able to navigate anxiety much, much better. Ever heard the phrase, eating your feelings? I've certainly done it. Um, and uh, it's a temptation to drink, to, to, uh, to eat in unhealthy ways, to sleep in unhealthy ways, to binge. Um, that is a form of anxiety, and it is not healthy, and it won't help you lead. Leaders take, they start with their own bodies, they start with their own physical uh, sort of existence, matter matters, everything like that. Huge. Calming figures. This is maybe underestimated by us. We can't always process our own anxiety. Often, uh, we, we, can't, we can't process our own anxiety. Um, like, like we need to be able to, um, because we are relational beings. We learn, how to, um, we learn how to live in a less anxious way when we connect with less anxious people. Calming figures, parent figures. Anyone have one of those in your life, someone that you can call? Yeah, what are they like? What, what's it like when you talk to these people? Yes. 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 Did you guys hear what Amy said? It's really important. When she talks with a calming figure, number one, they listen. That means that Amy is able to objectify and separate, have some separateness from all of the racing thoughts. She's able to verbalize it. It's being held by someone else. It's out there now. It's different from Amy. It's something that Amy is carrying now and not carrying alone. She's carrying it with someone who has some maturity and some calmness. And then what happens is Amy's able to relate in a more empowered way with the anxiety. It's no longer sort of taken over her personality. Thirdly, the calmness and the peace from the other person starts to flow into Amy's soul. Do you see the Christ-like sort of exchange that's happening here? She's um, letting some of her anxiety flow into this relationship, and this other person in a caring way is, is letting that happen making space for it. 
And then in exchange, they're giving some of their peace. Amy walks away calmer. I don't think Amy's going to send an all-caps group text ever again after that conversation. <laughs> Brenda, you also raised your hand. Do you want to talk about what it's like to talk with a calming figure? Yes. Yes. It does. It does. So Brenda mentioned something that uh, all of us are called to learn how to do. It's hard to do, but it's important, which is to repeat back, to really listen to what someone's saying, and in their own words, repeat back what they just heard. Ah, oh, man, when that happens, that's, that's one key way to lower anxiety. You've been heard. It makes sense. You're not crazy. And also, there's some insight that comes in with that conversation. Anything else on calming figures? Oh, yeah, Sophia, sorry. Yes. 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 That's so important. So Sophia is talking about um, how there are some people who maybe they're like, "How are you doing? I'd love to hear." <laughs> no, you share. Why don't you share with me how you're feeling right now? And what they're going to do is they're going to be like, "Oh, are you serious?" That's crazy. Did they really say that? And all of a sudden, you're feeling like more and more angry, more and more anxious, more and more riled up. Not a calming figure. More like codependent figure. Someone who's, uh, they've got, they're trying to meet their own emotional needs using your problems. Don't let it happen. This, this comes also with perspective and vision which calming figures offer. Perspective and vision. Um, I was reading a book um, by Richard Stearns, and um, his, he, uh, he is the CEO of World Vision. Before that, he was the CEO of Parker Brothers, and Lennox Crystal, which makes high-end plates. And so he was, he was in the business world, leading in the business world as a Christian, and then took on the CEO of World Vision, which was his toughest, hardest leadership challenge ever. And in his book on leadership, he talks about trust. And he talks about how um, he, often in leadership, you find yourself in these situations where you, it feels like everything comes down to this particular situation. And everything is going to either rise or it's going to crumble on this particular moment. And he said, in those moments, what's been so helpful for me is to, um, is to say, like Peter said to Jesus when he was sinking in the waters, just help, I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I know that in 10 years, this will not be a crisis. That in 10 years, if we can make it through this, if we can calm ourselves down, if we can put our trust in the hands of the Lord. He's got this. If he's going to have us lead, he's going to have to come through for us. Trust, trust, trust. And what that does is that allows for him, it gives him and everyone on his team space to have some perspective on this is not the end and this is not all there is. Perspective and vision 
we might even say is sort of the, uh, the antidote or the, um, it's the golden juice. It's the step-down converter energy that people are looking for from leaders when they're anxious. Perspective and vision is a type of electricity, right? It's a type of energy. It moves us forward. It, 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 our hope goes up. Our, when we have perspective and vision, our energy levels are, 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 are raised, but not in a racing heart way, but in a full heart way. And uh, it is the job of a leader to, uh, when anxiety finds, finds them, from the Lord, from calming figures, from, um, from history, uh, to find a way to transform all of that anxiety into vision and perspective and um, what is ahead in the Lord. I think that's what Peter is doing in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 4 and 5, the whole book, really, people are feeling incredibly anxious from all the persecution. What is he doing? He's giving them vision. The chief shepherd is going to appear, right? There's going to come a time when the chief shepherd appears and will put on your head the, the crown that is waiting for you. There's a crown waiting for you, and the Lord himself will confirm, strengthen, establish you. That sure, you've got a, you've got a, a roaring lion. You've got a roaring lion. He's your adversary. He wants to devour you, eat up your flesh. Resist him, firm in your faith. Why? Perspective. You've got brothers and sisters all over the world facing the same exact thing, and it's not the end. Um, one uh, final thing that I want to talk about, we're going to do together, is something called Name Your Feelings. We've been doing this the whole time. Name Your Feelings to Tame Your Feelings. Um, I believe we have some crayons and some blank pieces of paper. So everyone needs some crayons and a blank piece of paper, and we have them. Did you, all, did you all get a packet of crayons? Oh, great. Take out your packet of crayons. And so take the whole baggie. Yeah, take the whole baggie, unless there's not enough for everybody. There's not enough? Okay. Raise your hand if you don't have crayons. You're going to need some crayons. The color white is not going to help you, because it doesn't show up on the page. So keep your hands up if you need crayons. And for those of you who have more crayons than you need, you need at least three or four. You got more than that. Oh, and we've got a bucket being passed around, a bucket of crayons. I think we got a bucket over here, so I don't think any more crayon donations are needed. Okay. Yeah. There's a crayons for all, Amy Patton. All right, so what we're going to do now is um, just picture your anxiety. Um, just draw it out. Don't think about it. Just go for it. The only requirement for this is um, that it can't be perfect. If it's perfect, I'm going to kick you out. Um, and Amy's going to send you an, um, an all-caps text. Uh, so draw out anxiety in your life. You're not going to be required to share this, but put it in a picture. Draw a picture, of, it could be of yourself and of your worst fear facing off. A situation right now that's just like, this is what I'm afraid is going to happen. This is what I'm feeling is happening right now. What is bringing that sense of doom 
bringing that sense of um, all or nothing. It could be a relationship, a, a situation. Anything in this electric matrix that's found its way to you. Can I just verify? Yeah. So is it how I'm experiencing it or what the event or the person is? Could be both. Yeah, either one or both. Draw it out. You can take up the whole page or a part of the page and just put, picture it. you're getting close to being done with your mural, um, you can give it a title. Give it a, just a title. Does anyone have pro problems or questions with this? Anyone getting stuck? Okay. Give it a title.